Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T, and I'm wishing you guys all a great day. To anyone new, welcome to my channel. And if after listening to or watching this video, you find you learned something or you enjoyed it, please do me a favor and hit that like button. It helps so much. Now, let's get started. Today, suspect Brian Koberger who is accused of doing in the four University of Idaho students back in November of 2022, has an extradition hearing in the Monroe County Courthouse in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. He is expected to simply say that he is indeed Brian Koberger. That's all the Commonwealth needs to prove, that this person they have in jail resembles or is the person whose name is on the arrest warrant out of Idaho. Koberger's court-appointed lawyer, Jason Labar, has said his client won't challenge the extradition. And while the media will be permitted inside the courthouse, there will be no cameras inside when the hearing is taking place. Once the hearing's over, Brian Koberger will either be bussed or flown back to Idaho. Once there, he will be appointed a new lawyer to represent him. And that lawyer will then likely ask for some time to review the evidence that's on the affidavit. Here is footage of Koberger being taken to the courthouse early this morning. They're not taking any chances. They're getting him there bright and early. Before I jump into the main topic of this video, let me just say that Brian Koberger, who I'm going to try to refer to as BK when I can, should be presumed innocent until proven otherwise. So while I may talk about him as being the perpetrator, that is only in the sense that he's currently law enforcement's one and only suspect for this crime in Moscow on November 13th. And law enforcement has expressed that they believe Koberger acted alone and the coroner has indicated that the same sharp-edged object was used on all four victims. Port from Brian Enton of News Nation, who said that a source told him that Brian Koberger, when he was arrested, asked if anyone else was being arrested. Many have speculated that perhaps there were other people in Moscow, Idaho. On the night of the crime, who helped the perpetrator, either in the commission of the crime or in driving the getaway car. But a very savvy panel on a recent Nancy Grace show discussed the possibility that perhaps BK asked that question because he was concerned that one of his parents might have been arrested for assisting him in some way. That's pure speculation, and no one wants to attack BK's family who are no doubt going through utter misery. But it would explain Koberger's odd question to the authorities if he did in fact say that. Only time will tell if the parents had any idea that something was off with their son. Speaking of Brian Enton, Carrie Rawson, the daughter of notorious serialist Dennis Rader, a.k.a. BTK, 
was interviewed yesterday. During their chat, Rawson described feeling sick to her stomach when she learned that Brian Koberger had studied under Kathleen Ramsland, who teaches at DeSales University. Ramsland interviewed Carrie's father, Dennis Rader, over a long period in order to write his biography, and Ramsland is known for having developed a close relationship with Rader during that period. Carrie had the revelation that perhaps Brian Koberger took things he learned from her father's crimes to plan his attack on the students in Moscow. Carrie also felt that it's possible Brian Koberger communicated either by phone or letter with her father. Apparently, a lot of students studying criminology write to Dennis Rader, some out of curiosity, others because they want to ask the infamous serialist questions. Brian Enton asked Carrie if she thought that Dr. Ramsland, who knows Dennis Rader so well and who has studied other serialists for so long, may have had an inkling that something was off with her student, Brian Koberger. Harry responded that at this point, we need to believe in good faith that Dr. Ramslin had no clue that Koberger was capable of this form of deviance. Carey pointed out that several well-known serialists have studied criminology, like Brian Koberger, including her father, who has a criminal justice degree, Joseph James D'Angelo, a.k.a. the Golden State serialist, who has that same degree, and Ted Bundy, who studied criminal law. Carrie expressed despising the fact that she's the daughter of a serialist and how her own post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is triggered by things like hearing Koberger studied under Dr. Ramslin. Carrie was also able to describe what Koberger's family may be going through behind the scenes. Take a listen. You know what it's like to be a family member of someone um, who's killed. I mean, what do you, what do you, what can you say about what Koberger's family, I mean, he's just a suspect at this, this point, but what can you say about what his family may be going through? Um, Koberger's family is going through utter hell, I assure you. I mean, at this moment, we have no reason to suspect that they, they knew. You know, I, we're going to have to wait on law enforcement, but innocent until proven guilty. So as of now, we have no reason to suspect they, ha they had any involvement, they had any knowledge. I know people are out there saying, well, what about the car and that the father supposedly drove home, Koberger, from college? I get it. But I, I was home for Christmas in December of 2004, um, stayed in my father's house probably for like a week and a half. Um, that was the last time I saw him. He was he was already kind of involved for several months with BTK communications with the Wichita police. Um I vaguely knew about that, but I was not, you know, invested in it. I wasn't really looking at it. Um, and my father would have been the last person I would have suspected. So we, we, I got the FBI knock at like around noon in Michigan. I lived in outside of Detroit at the time, but it was like a detective team with what I understand, like support from a SWAT team that went in and, um, 
notified my mom because they didn't know if my father had rigged the house. They didn't know what they were walking into. They didn't know if my mom was involved. So they just, they needed to be safe. So I can understand the approach they took and why they did it at night. Um, I also know, like, in my father's case, they highly suspected my father, but they wanted to confirm it with DNA. So they um, watched him, like, set up, like, a car a car with, with detectives and kept an eye on him for days, surveillance, or, you know, four or five days before they arrested him, waiting on DNA to come back. Um, they used my DNA. I was one of the first familiar DNA cases to catch one of these people. I might have been the first. I'm not sure. So um, it's a lot. We don't yet know much about Brian Koberger's family other than he has a 67-year-old father named Michael Koberger Jr., who was a maintenance worker for the Pleasant Valley School District in Effort, Pennsylvania, from 2006 through June of 2019, as well as a 62-year-old mother named Marianne, who worked for that same school district as a paraprofessional assisting teacher until around 2020. Brian Koberger also has two older sisters, Amanda and Melissa. The Kobergers have been described by at least one of Brian's former friends as good people. Brian's mother was called the most warm-hearted, kind individual by Brian's former classmate, Deja Mann. Another former friend said that the parents had been through a lot with their son. He pointed out BK's addiction in high school to the big H. It does sound like BK's parents must have been tested, watching their son be bullied, then seeing him lose an incredible 100 pounds of weight, get addicted, then turn aggressive and start bullying other kids. No doubt they watched mostly powerless as their son Brian struggled with all those issues. And then they were witness to an FBI raid on their home, where a team of officers came inside, shackled their son, and arrested him. Despite the horror of their son being charged in the brutal crime that occurred in Moscow, Idaho, they are, at least so far, standing by him. But let's talk about BK's white Elantra and the road trip he took with his father from Washington to Pennsylvania in mid-December. After wrapping up his first semester at Washington State University in mid-December, Brian picked up his father from the airport in Spokane, Washington. Michael Koberger had purchased a one-way ticket from Pennsylvania to Washington. The plan was for the father and son to road trip together in Brian's white Elantra, the 2,500 miles home from Washington to Pennsylvania for the holidays. According to a reporter from Law and Crime, she was told by Brian Koberger's court-appointed attorney, Jason Labar, that this road trip had been planned since the beginning of Brian's school year at Washington State University. Whether we choose to believe that or not is our decision at this point. This road trip strikes me as very odd for several reasons. First, we've learned from Brian's lawyer that the pair were pulled over twice during that journey 
for speeding and tailgating in Indiana. I don't know who was driving, but two tickets seems like a tad much. Wouldn't you think that the one who wasn't driving would have kept tabs on the other ones driving, unless the passenger was asleep during the speeding and tailgating instances? But that aside, let's talk about the car that was used for the road trip, Brian Koberger's white Elantra. The first thing to note is that Koberger never came forward when the police asked anyone in the area who drives a white Elantra from the years 2011 to 2013 to let them know. Why not? That alone doesn't point to guilt 100%, but it is a question that begs answering. And yes, I have heard that BK's Elantra is a 2015, but still, it's close enough, right? Next, if BK really is the person who committed this messy and brutal crime, then I would have thought he would not want his father anywhere near his apartment or near his now infamous white Hyundai Elantra. Even though BK had a full seven weeks in which to rid both the apartment and the Elantra of any potential evidence, we know that even the most thorough cleaners often miss tiny bits of evidence, perhaps microscopic dots of red spatter or strands of Murphy the dog's hair, and sometimes certain pesky stains and odors refuse to budge, no matter how much scrubbing one does, as in Macbeth, out, out, damn spot. Forensic coroner Joseph Scott Morgan said this about Koberger's Elantra, if indeed Koberger is the perpetrator. And I think finally, uh, whatever kind of tiebacks there might be in that vehicle, I think the vehicle was huge because if he had been allegedly been in that house and had committed these crimes, and I think admittedly he would have been super saturated in blood, that evidence would have transferred into the car somehow and not just the blood, but any kind of other trace evidence he's taken away. So they've got their... This is an evidence-rich environment, and it will have been inoculated with everybody's DNA that was at the scene. If BK is the perpetrator, then his car will have evidence in it, and his apartment likely will too. I no longer believe he changed his clothes in the off-campus house. I say this because of that scream that supposedly occurred at one point during the commission of the crime. And because in shedding his clothing inside the off-campus house, the perpetrator would inevitably have left behind evidence. And I would think that BK, as someone who studied criminology, he would have known not to take that risk. Yes, the police have said they connected unidentified DNA at the scene to BK through familial genealogy, but I think that happened when his hand slipped on that sharp-edged object, or possibly when the two victims fought back. Those were events that BK did not anticipate. Forensic coroner Joseph Scott Morgan was also on Nancy Grace the other day, and he said this of BK's Elantra, and I quote, I can tell you this, he didn't get everything out of there. I promise that. Now that the detectives have the Elantra in their possession, they will be scouring it for evidence. They'll also be looking to see if any car washes 
in the Pullman and Moscow areas have video from after November 13th of 2022 of BK washing his car. They'll also be asking stores that sell cleaning supplies to see if anyone by that name recently bought such items and if they too have video of BK entering and exiting the store. And I'm sure they'll be on the lookout for any reports from BK's neighbors of him being seen washing the Elantra. Back to the road trip. A 2,500-mile road trip across the United States seems like a very long trip for winter break, especially when you consider all the potential weather issues one might face along the route, and also that you would then need to drive back to Washington and cover those same 2,500 miles through possibly more snowy and icy conditions. Might this trip in the Elantra have been BK's attempt at getting that car that everyone was looking for out of Pullman and away from nearby Moscow? Do we believe this trip was planned all along, or was this a decision that was made post the crime? That's going to depend on who we choose to believe. It will also depend on, maybe, the date when the plane ticket was purchased by Michael Koberger. I heard criminal profiler John Kelly say that people who commit crimes in which they do others in, typically, right after the crime, want to put as much distance as they can between themselves and the victims. Once BK heard the police announced that they were looking for that white Elantra that was spotted near the crime scene around the time of the attack and also videotaped by that gas station, I'm thinking he likely wanted to put as much distance between himself and his white Elantra. Having his car spotted near the crime scene and being caught on that surveillance camera footage were other things that the perpetrator likely had not anticipated. So the question is, was this road trip BK's idea because it was a way to get the Elantra far away from Pullman, Washington and Moscow, Idaho? Or was it a trip that was planned the whole time, but then voila, the crime happened and this was a convenient way to get that Elantra far away? Kohlberger's parents live in a gated community where the properties are one acre or more, and there's a lot of green space between the houses. The Koberger's property is actually near the Poconos Mountains, and there's much in the way of wooded areas nearby. Did Brian maybe have a plan to ditch the Elantra somewhere in Pennsylvania, maybe hide it in a shed, roll it into a body of water, or pay a junkyard to crush it into a large metal pancake? Was BK planning to find another car to drive back the 2,500 miles to Washington? Or did he maybe tell his parents that he didn't need a car in Pullman because he could walk to all the places he needed to go? I have to believe that 2,500-mile road trip was part of the plan, at least the plan in Brian's head, that might not have been known by his father and his mother, to rid himself of this very damning piece of evidence, that white Elantra. And I have to believe 
that he did not want to drive that Elantra right back to Pullman, knowing how everyone in the area has their eyes peeled for any and all white Elantras. All this begs the question, did the parents have any inkling of what their son might have done? Everyone in the country heard about the deaths of the four college students. The case has gripped our nation and the world. Knowing their son lived just 15 minutes from Moscow, Idaho, wouldn't you think they'd be asking him questions about his thoughts on the crime, especially knowing that he's studying criminal justice and criminology? And wouldn't they also have known that the cops were looking for a white Elantra, just like the one their son drives? Could the parents have known about what might have happened and offered to help BK get that vehicle out of Washington? I know this sounds crazy, and it's not very politically correct at this point, because most people would be horrified that their child might be involved in this. But let's not forget the laundries and the latest news from the attorney representing Gabby Petito's parents, who has alleged that Brian's mother, Roberta Laundrie, wrote a note to her son, Brian, offering a shovel to help him in the disposal process. I'm not saying that BK's parents did this. By all accounts, they are lovely people. I'm just speculating. It's also possible that they were simply doing what they thought was best for their son, and that was if he insisted that he was going to drive 2,500 miles to be home for the holidays, maybe they felt he'd be safer doing that with another person in the car. A lot of parents would want to do that to try and ensure that their kids were safe on a very long-distance road trip. But I do wonder why everyone didn't come to the conclusion that a round-trip airline ticket, although pricey, would have made everyone's life easier after all, Michael Koberger had to purchase a one-way ticket anyway, and then he had to get into the Elantra with his son and drive all the way back to Pennsylvania, 2,500 miles through some areas of snow, sleet, and rain, no doubt. One-way tickets sometimes cost more than round-trip ones. Why not put those monies toward a round-trip ticket for BK so that he could get home faster have more time with the family, not put his father through that horrendously long car ride, and not having the hassle of having to drive his 2015 Elantra so far, especially with the cost of fuel. Consider all this against the backdrop of BK having to get rid of that Elantra. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, do me a favor, smash that like button, leave me a comment, let me know what you think, and I'll see you next time.